Bibles out tonight and turn to the book of Exodus. <laughs> We're not going to Lamentations tonight. Uh, for the past several few months, we've been in Lamentations, uh, looking at some lessons in Lamentations as we go through this tumultuous time in the history of our world and our country. Uh, Lamentations offers a lot to us, and we're going to go back to that, Lord willing, here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but felt the Lord really today leading us away from that tonight uh, to look at something in particular in the book of Exodus. And so sorry to disappoint if you're looking forward to getting back into that, but we will be back there next time. Exodus chapter 34. Remain seated if you don't mind. Look down to verse number 1, 2, and they're going to skip over to verse 35, I believe it is. Exodus chapter number 34. And let's look down to verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Now, obviously, we understand what's going on here. Uh, Moses is about to go back up on the mountain of God and receive the second uh, version of the Ten Commandments. He broke the first out of anger, and he's about to get the second. Thank God for his mercy. He allows us those second chances. Look at verse 2. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Uh, now, there's a lot of things God's going to direct him to do, but for the sake of time tonight, turn, look at verse 28, if you will. The Bible says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, look to the end of the chapter, verse 35. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. That's a lot to unravel tonight, so let's pray and ask God to help us. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be back in your house here, Lord, during the summertime break. Lord, we might have our batteries recharged just a little bit, or we might not uh, get lax and slack in our walk with you, and I pray you'll do that through your word tonight. Be the many folks that are away out of town on vacation. Uh, Lord, I pray you keep them safe, Lord, both physically, spiritually, bring them back to us soon, and then bless, Lord, those of us that are here tonight to be able to receive your word and respond to it in a way that's pleasing to you, for it's in Jesus' Jesus name. Amen. I want to open up tonight with a story uh, of something that happened to me several, several years ago, almost exactly 16 years ago. I'm not sure if I've shared this story the 16, uh, uh, that happened 16 years ago, the two years that I've been here. Uh, but right after we got married, we were married about three weeks, we went on a whitewater rafting trip uh, with my wife's home church. Now, if you've never got to do that, uh, it's definitely an exciting adventure. Uh, now, let me go ahead and tell you, it's not a boat ride. Uh, I thought whitewater rafting was just a nice float down the river, get some good pictures, say you've done whitewater rafting before. Uh, it's not. Let me go ahead and tell you, it's work. Whitewater rafting is a very, very tiring uh, task if you've ever had the opportunity to do that. But everything was going well. We, we rafted the first part of the day, stopped for lunch, had a nice sandwich lunch there on a sandbar. And then we got back in the boat, started going back down the Ocoee River up in Tennessee. That's where they did the Olympic uh, uh, rafting there, if that gives you any idea of what uh, kind of water we were in. And uh, not long after we'd gotten in, we started getting into a little bit of a white water, I think uh, a class three rapid. Uh, things got tossed around a little bit. Next thing you know, I saw this large red rock, and that's the last thing that I remember. 
Uh, we ran into the rock, and because it's kind of an inflatable raft, uh, it recoiled. I went up in the air, was thrown into the water, and, and just like flushed down a toilet, if you've ever been in white water. Uh, I mean, it was just tumbling me around on the bottom, and I would pop up for a breath, and every time I popped up, the boat was further and further down the Ocoee River. Well, before we left, the, uh, the guy that was guiding our raft says, look, if you ever get in trouble, you ever get knocked out of the boat, you lift up your hand and I will throw you a lifeline. Uh, and so I look up and sure enough, I see him in the boat. He has this little bag that the rope is coiled up in and he's preparing to throw it. Well, right as he prepared to throw it, I got sucked back down in the toilet of that river. <laughs> just flushed down. He said, look, if you get in there, just fan your arms until you find the lifeline. And when you find the lifeline, grab hold. And so I fanned my hands under the water. I found the rope. And as soon as I clamped down on that rope, all of a sudden, I was slammed against the bottom of the river. Lo and behold, there was another rope in the river that was not the one he threw to me. Uh, and it was tangled up on some, some rocks, and I'm just holding on to it, thinking to myself, you know, when's this guy going to pull me out of here, you know? And after a while, I begin to think, well, now I think he must have fell asleep at the wheel, so I let go of the lifeline, only to realize that was not the real lifeline. Long story short, I found the real one. He pulled me into safety and got me where I needed to be. My wife of three weeks, my beautiful bride of three weeks, was sobbing. She thought she was going to be a widow three weeks into this thing, and we didn't have insurance yet. That's why she was crying, because uh, we didn't have life insurance yet. She was like, man, I knew we should have got that before we went right water rafting. But here's what I want you to think about tonight. That lifeline possibly saved my life, okay? I was helpless in the Ocoee River. I was in desperate need of help, and somebody had what I needed, and they threw me the lifeline, and they connected the helpless with the hope, okay? The guy in the boat had the hope that I needed. I was hopeless. I was helpless, and he threw that lifeline, and that lifeline connected me to the hope that I needed. Now, I want you to think about that tonight in light of us as the church and us as Christians. Now, the lost world without Christ is hopeless, right? They are hopeless without Christ. He's the only one. Listen, he is the only way that can bring salvation to the helpless and to the hopeless. Now, watch this. God desires that the world, the lost world, be saved. He has the hope that they desperately need. They are hopeless. But we've got to figure out a way to connect God who has the hope with the people who are helpless. Enter the church. The church is the lifeline, listen, that we connect the lost world to Christ. By the way, that's why he left us here. He left us here after we got saved to be the ones who connect those that are lost and to ultimately bring them to Christ. Watch this. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So watch this. God and man were separated because of what? Because of sin. In the Garden of Eden, when sin entered, it separated. That's why the Bible says our sin and our iniquities have separated us from God. By the way, it will always separate you from God. Not just when you're lost, but when you're saved. You ever feel like you and God have drifted apart? It's always because of sin, all right? It's not because of God. It's always because of sin. It's the sin we willfully committed. Now, watch this. The Bible says that God wanted to reconcile man to himself. So how did he do that? Verse 18 says, unto himself by Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Without Christ, we could not be reconciled to God. But that verse doesn't end there. Listen to what it goes on to say. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
So here's God wanting to reconcile lost man to himself, and so he did it through Christ. And now, watch this, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That means we get to be that lifeline that connects the lost world to Christ. Can I tell you, that's a privilege. What a privilege we have that Almighty God desires to use us to bring the lost world to him. We have that ministry of reconciliation. It's almost like a chain reaction. Watch this. We have God, who is the God of hope. He sent Christ. Christ reached us. And now he gives to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's kind of like this chain. But wait a minute. What does the old adage say? A chain is only as strong as what? Its weakest link. So let's go through this chain. We have God, Christ, the church, the lost world. Well, I know God's not the weak link. I know Christ is not the weakling. He did his job. But oftentimes, the reason the helpless and the hopeless do not get connected to the hope that they need is because the weak, the weak link is the church. We are the weak link between that lifeline of connecting those that are helpless to the only hope, which is through Christ. Now, folks, understand this tonight. If we are going to help the lost and dying world find Christ, we're going to have to be the lifeline that God's called us to be. And by the way, that God left us here to be. That is the number one priority upon the life of every Christian, to be the lifeline to connect the helpless to the whole. Have you ever been stuck before in your car? <clears throat> I think most of us probably have. We, we live here in the South, and we're always driving in places we don't need to go, thinking that our Toyota Camry is a 4x4, and it's not. All right, Even though you might feel that way, the car was not built here in the South. And we get off the road, and we get stuck. All right, We get stuck. And lo and behold, somebody comes along and they have a four-wheel drive. Most folks around here do. Or maybe they got a dump truck or they got something that'll pull you out. And lo and behold, they hook that tow cable to your car and to their truck and they pull you out. Now, can I tell you tonight, there's a lot of people that are stuck in this world. A lot of people have got on the wrong way. They've gotten out of the way. They've gotten stuck in the mire and the mud of sin in the world that we're living in. And they need somebody to love them enough to come be that lifeline to hook them, to hook to them and pull them out of where they are. That is us tonight. Now, folks, we've got to get back to the place where, there's, where we're going to be the lifeline that connects them to where they need to be. Now, tonight we're going to look at the life of Moses. Moses, I believe, is one of the greatest lifelines that you're going to find in Scripture. Moses is always that go-between between God and the people. How many times is Moses that go-between, standing between God and the people, even in times where they had disobeyed God, Moses stood for them? And yet, let me tell you something. Moses was able to do what he was able to do because he was who he was, Okay? Now, if we don't be who God's called us to be, we're not going to be able to do what God's called us to do. And there's three things in chapter number 34 that show us the life of Moses, how he became the lifeline that he was. Now, folks, understand this. This is not just for the lost people. Uh, the burden of the message actually came this afternoon. I was preparing to preach out of Lamentations, and I'm sitting there looking at all of our young people on the bus getting ready to head down south, and I'm thinking to myself, they're going to come back hopefully excited they're going to come back with, with a burden and a boldness to do the will of God, <clears throat> but oftentimes they end up getting stuck because those that are responsible to help keep them connected to God don't do their job. 
Now, folks, my prayers when our young people come back, they come back and we don't drag them down, but we encourage them by being that connection we need to be in their life. I think Moses is going to show us how to do that tonight. This is not just for our kids, by the way. You might need to be the lifeline for your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your coworker. And if you're not what you need to be, then you're not going to be able to help him. So tonight, let's look at this thought real quickly, the life of a lifeline. The life of a lifeline. Let's look at the life of Moses and see exactly what it was that made him a good lifeline. Now, verse number one holds the first thing. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these, two, these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Look at verse two. And be ready in the morning, and what? The Bible says, Come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. Now notice this, if Moses is going to be to the people, what he needs to be to the people, now what is Moses? He's that go-between, that in-between between the people and God. Now in order for Moses to do that, notice the Bible says, verse 2, he's going to have to do something. The Bible says, and come up. In order for Moses to give them direction, Moses is going to have to get direction. And God says to get that direction, you're going to have to come up. Now, what does that mean? That means Moses is going to have to do some moving himself. Moses just can't sit there and say, all right, you need to do this, you need to do that. God says, in order for you to give them direction, I need to give you direction. So number one, watch this. Moses is going to have to draw closer to the Lord in order to lead the people and be who he needs to be. And that's number one. Notice tonight the closeness of the lifeline. The closeness. In order for Moses to be that lifeline between the people that he needs to be, Moses is going to have to go up on the mountain and get closer with God. Now, folks, can I tell you one of the greatest reasons tonight that we as the church, I believe, are ineffective in being that lifeline to the helpless, connecting them to the hope, is oftentimes we're lacking one essential thing, and that's a closeness in our walk with God. Moses couldn't do what he needed to do down there at the camp. He had to come up and be with God. Now, watch this. If you've ever gotten towed, all right, you've got a tow cable, and you hook it to the car in the ditch. But sooner or later, if you want to pull that car out of the ditch, you've got to connect the car, that tow cable, to the one who's going to be doing all of the heavy lifting. If you do not connect it to the one who's going to be doing the pulling, guess what? You're just pulling on your own strength. That's all you've got to offer. Now, oftentimes, that's who we are. Because we are not connected to the one who does the heavy lifting, we're unable to pull those people out of the ditch. Why? Because we're going in our own power. Can you imagine someone bogged down in a ditch, you hook a tow cable to it, and we pass by and we see you standing on the ditch just pulling on that car? I'd laugh at you. I'd probably take a picture of you and find a way to work it in next Sunday's message on the screen so everybody could see it. Why? There's no way. They're stuck in a ditch. I mean, they're down there deep. He said, well, I got a tow cable. Doesn't matter if that tow cable never connect, gets connected to the power that can do the heavy lifting. Now, can I tell you who's doing the heavy lifting for the church? It's God. All we are is the tow cable. All we are is the lifeline. And if sooner or later, listen, he said, well, I've been trying to get this person out of the ditch. I've been trying to help them. Can I ask you, how's your closeness with God? I want you to know, I've never convicted one person, 26 years of ministry, I've never convicted one person. I've never drawn one person to be saved. Why? I do not possess that power. 
I can't, listen, I can't convict someone's heart. I can't show them that they're lost. Listen, I can show them what the Bible says, but only the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says that Spirit's got to draw them. And yet so often we get so enamored with ourselves and our talents and our abilities and our skills, and here we are trying to pull people out of the ditch. I just don't know why I haven't been able to help anybody. How's your closeness? Have you hooked up to the bumper of the one? Listen, who can pull them out? He said, Moses, watch this. Moses, I want you to be the go-between, but here's what I need you to do. Verse number two, I need you to come up. Listen, I need you to come up where I am. Oftentimes, look, we desire to get people out of the ditch, but we're spiritually lazy. Say, Lord, I sure hope you help these people. And God says, why don't you come up? By the way, I just find it interesting when you look at the direction of that. It says, why don't you come up? Kind of flies in the face of modern religion, doesn't it? Modern religion and modern faith says, why don't you just step down? No, God says, I want you to step up. I want you to come up where I am. Get a little bit closer to me. By the way, you know, that's what Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sunday morning, we preached about Jesus going just a little bit farther. Matthew 26, what was interesting was, the Bible says he left the eight and he took three with him. And the Bible says he told the three, you wait here. And then what did he do? He went a little further and he fell on his face and began to talk to his father. He was about to become the lifeline for all of mankind, for all of, man, all, all of time. He was about to go and die on the cross and be the lifeline for every man, woman, and child who would ever draw breath in this world. And he showed us a beautiful example. He left the eight, he left the three, and it was just him and Jesus. What was it? Closeness. Closeness. Folks, I promise you, you don't have to be the most talented. You don't have to be the prettiest, thank God. You don't have to have the most hair, thank God. Let me tell you what you do need to have. You need to have a closeness. We were about Abraham. Genesis 19. I think Abraham was a lifeline, wasn't he? Didn't God call him? to lead a group of people? Wasn't Abraham a lifeline? Genesis 19, we see a little glimpse into Abraham's walk with God. Listen to what it says. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. I circled in my notes three words, to the place. This doesn't seem like a random spot. It was the place. I believe the reason that God used Abraham as such a lifeline between God and the people is because Abraham had a closeness with God. He had a place. Can I ask you tonight, do you have a place? Do you have a place where you and God get close? I told Brother Nate the other day, <clears throat> I thought I was going to get married when I was 18 because my dad got married when he was 18. And I thought, well, my dad was mature enough. I'm surely mature, mature enough. That's why I didn't get married until I was 25. <laughs> And boy, I thought 18, 19, 20, and I got frustrated with God. God, listen, there's guys that aren't half as good looking as I am, and they're getting married already. I had a little cinder block out in the woods. I've told you before. It's still there. It's covered in moss now. There's that green algae out there in the middle of the woods. And that was where I went and prayed and talked with God. Why? Because doing the will of God sometimes requires a closeness. If you're going to reach the people God's called you to reach, Moses is about to lead a group of who? Unstable people. Moses is about to be a lifeline to some rough, tough people. 
He says, you know what? God says, you're going to need a closeness. I want you to come up. Job chapter 1. I think God used Job. What does the Bible say about Job? Listen close. You're going to see a little, a little glimpse into Job's walk with God. The Bible says he rose up early, verse 5, and offered burnt offerings. He rose up early and offered burnt offerings. Now, what was Job doing? Job chapter 1. What was he doing? He was praying for his children. Job says, I, I want to stand between my children and God. He said, they may have cursed God in their heart. Job says, I, I want to be that middleman between my children and God. And he offered burnt offerings for him. Can I tell you the reason Job did what Job did in all 42 chapters of Job? It's because he had a closeness. He had a closeness. Folks, listen, if we're going to be the lifeline that God's called us to be, you're not going to do it without a closeness. And I hate to tell you, look, we talk a really good game, but oftentimes it's not evident in our life that we have that walk with God because the power of God is not there. We've got to have a closeness in order to have that. Uh, one of my favorite stories from missionaries is that missionary that was in Africa, over in East Africa. And uh, as people would get saved, he would teach them to pray and encourage them, listen, find a place you can get alone with God. Just find you a place out in the woods, in the bush. Find a place you can get along with God and just pray. And says, after a while, all those new converts had such a fervor, they had just worn paths into the bush. Little paths. This was this guy's path where he went and met God. This is this guy's path where he went and met God. And he says, you could always tell when someone's relationship with God was what, what it was not needed to be when there was grass growing on their path. And so they developed this phrase. He would say, brother, there's grass on your path. And it meant that your closeness with God is not what it needed to be. You see, it was evident on their path. Can I tell you that's the same way for you and I? It's evident on our path when there's grass. Listen, the weeds of this world, the grass of this life, the effects of the pressures and thorns of this life, they're sprouting up on our path. It shows us our closeness is not what it needs to be. And the place that it's most evident is the fact that we're ineffective to reach those that God left us here to reach. Now, folks, I'm not, I don't want to beat you up tonight. Listen, I love you. But in order for us to be who God's called us to be, Central Baptist Church, listen, we're a lifeline for Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're a lifeline. But we can't be who God's called us to be to those who he has called us to without us having a closeness with God. Sooner or later, you just say, I need to come up. I need to go be alone with God. I encourage every one of you tonight, be sure you have a closeness with God in order to be what God wants you to be. Now, watch this. You say, well, this is hard. In 2021, it's hard to keep ready. Uh, it's hard for us to be who God's called us to be and keep a close relationship. Notice verse 2. It's interesting. The second and third words show you how to do that. The Bible says, and be ready. And be ready. You know what that means? The only way you're going to have a closeness with God is to prepare to have a closeness with God. Moses was about to have a close encounter with God, was he not, up on the mountain? And God says, okay, watch this, verse 2, be ready. Be ready. That means you've got to plan on it. Folks, think about all the things you plan for. Think about it. My daughter is on this kick right now. Or she wants to know my whole weekly schedule. Dad, what do you have planned tomorrow? What do you have planned on Tuesday? What you have planned on? I don't know what I have planned in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Dad, what do you have planned? What do you have planned? And I try to tell her all that I can. I says, babe, sometimes, look, this is ministry. Uh, plans are subject to change. But you think about the things you plan for and I plan for. Could it be said, let's be honest, could it be said we have more detailed plans of what we're going to have for supper tonight than when we're going to walk with God? Could, I mean, could it be? 
My wife is a planner. She is a scheduler. She's got grocery pickups planned and all of this, and HelloFresh delivers grocery to the door, and our life is just scheduled and planned. And I wonder what we would look like as Christians tonight if we had that type of readiness when it comes to our walk with God. I want to tell you this. I've experienced this in my Christian life, and I know you have too. It's not just going to happen. You're not going to stumble upon tomorrow. I just realized that I'm walking with God. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. You're walking with the other guy usually by accident, all right? That, that's what happens. You stumble upon that. Next thing you know, you know, uh, you're saying a bad word. Somebody's going slow in the fast lane. You're getting impatient. No, you'll find yourself walking in the other spirit, but not the spirit, I assure you. You've got to be ready for that. The only way you're going to have a closeness with God is for you to plan on it and prepare for it. You say, well, nobody's perfect. No, nobody's perfect. But you ought to be working to get up that mountain, all right? You ought to be working and striving, listen, and running your race to get up that mountain. Look, you're going to slide back down miserably some days. Man, I'll get up. Me and God have a closeness, and I'm up there on top of that mountain thinking, man, this is wonderful. Next thing you know, the devil sweeps your legs out from under you, and you go tumbling all the way down to the bottom. But keep striving to get back up there. Why? Because your closeness is what's going to determine whether or not you're the lifeline between the people that God's called you to reach. I thought about this today. You know, oftentimes we, we use the cop-out. Nobody's perfect. No, nobody's perfect. But you ought to strive for closeness. Ronald Reagan said this about his ranch, uh, that he would leave the White House and go rest down. He says, it's not heaven, but it's probably in the same zip code. <laughs> All right? You and God may not always be like this, but you ought to at least be in the same zip code every once in a while. All right? Let me tell you what motivates you to do that. The people that you're called to reach. If you're serious about helping someone out of a ditch, you're going to maintain a closeness with God. Why? Because that's the only hope you have of getting them out of the ditch, keeping that close walk and relationship with God. So number one, what does a life of a lifeline look like? Number one, it has a closeness. Now I'll skip back over. I think it was verse number 28. Let's look at it real quickly. Verse 28. You've got to have a closeness. But then the Bible says he was there with the Lord 40 days. 40 days and 40 nights. Here comes the scary part. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, God says, I want you to draw close. I want you to draw close. Well, that's something we all want. But notice, he was there 40 days. He's showing us something in the fact that he was there 40 days. That's the second thing you're going to need to be a lifeline tonight. Number two, notice the consistency. The consistency. He was there for 40 days, 40 days. Now, imagine the conversations of the people that were at the bottom of the mountain. Moses goes away one day and says, well, Moses is meeting with God. He's gone two days. He's gone three days, gone four days, gone five days. What do people begin to say? It must be serious. Six days, seven days. You know, it's like when... Uh, it's like uh, I'll go, uh, go try to talk to Brother Nate. Somebody will be in his office, knock on his door, got a meeting going on in there. And man, I come back 30 minutes later. You know what I say? Must be serious. You know? Somebody be in my office. My wife tried to come visit. What's the matter? Look, I had something going on. Well, you was in there a while. Well, it was serious. Now, folks, can I tell you the length of time that Moses was up there on that mountain was showing the people there was something serious happening up there. Because he didn't go up and come down, go up and come down, go up and come down. He just stayed put for a little while. Now, folks, this is something I believe we're going to have to, to get a handle on. 
or we're not going to be the lifeline we need to be. And that's the thing of consistency. Do you know what consistency shows? Significance. Consistency shows significance. I'll give you this example in the life of Daniel. I think Daniel was a great influence, was he not? Daniel connected God with an entire nation because of Daniel's testimony. It influenced an entire nation. Remember the decree that the king wrote after Daniel came up? An entire nation was influenced by Daniel. Well, here's what's interesting. You get a glimpse of that, of the walk with God that Daniel had. And Daniel had more than a spare time spirituality. And I think that's what a lot of us have. We have a spare time spirituality. We only get along with God and get close with God when we have the spare time. By the way, if you find some, let me know. If you only have a spare time spirituality, I hate to tell you this, you're not going to be very spiritual. Why? Because spare time is hard to find. That's why you've got to be ready and prepare for it. But the Bible says he was up there 40 days. Daniel, the Bible says, watch this, Daniel had a consistency in his walk that was used of God to influence those that God had placed him there for. He said, well, how do you know? Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. Those guys were trying to get him in trouble. And here's what they said. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against his God, concerning his God. They were trying to find something to get at Daniel with, to blackmailing, if you will, find some way to find him guilty before the king. But he says, we're not going to find anything. He's lived a wonderful life, and the only way we're going to find it is concerning his God. Now, how did they know that? They had been watching him. He was consistent. And then in chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says this, that after the decree was signed, he kneeled three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as he did aforetime. Aforetime. Do you know why God used Daniel? He was consistent. He was consistent. The only thing they could find against him was concerning his God. You say, well, man, I'm glad people aren't watching me like that. I hate to tell you, they are. They are. People are watching you in the consistency of your life. And I'll tell you this, the reason that God gave him that opportunity is because he gave God the time. You know, it's like the guys who are riding the bench there on the basketball team or the football team. Man, we want to be put in, we want to be put in, but we don't show up for practice. Man, I wish I could get in the game, get in a little practice, all right? Daniel showed up for God, and then God put Daniel in the game, and oftentimes the reason God doesn't use us is because there's no consistency there. How often do you like using something that's not reliable? My, my Toyota, I usually drive the red car because it's cooler, to be honest with you. I don't have a whole lot of cool things in my life, Brother Michael, so I like to drive at least a cool car. And I have a Toyota that's kind of an older man's car, you know. I'm not old and mature yet, so I drive the red one. And um, the, reason, the reason most of the time I don't jump in the Toyota is because uh, I need to replace the battery. And the battery that's there, I have to jump it off when I get ready to crank it. So guess what? When I go to grab keys, I grab the one that's consistently in its cranking. That's the one I want to use. And yet we wonder why God doesn't want to use us, because we're not consistent Folks, God needs to know what he's getting in you. And we show God what he's going to get in us through the faithfulness of day to day. Well done, thou good and flashy servant. Well done, thou good and famous servant. No, no, no. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Faithfulness still matters to God. read an interesting story this week uh, about a Texas Ranger, not the uh, policeman, but the ball player, okay? His name is Chris Davis, if I remember that correctly. He's a left fielder. What's interesting about this young man is he holds a record that no one else uh, in Major League Baseball history holds. From 2015 to 2016, 2017, and 2018, his batting average was 
247 every year. He had the same exact batting average for four consecutive years. No one has ever batted 247 or anything else consistently for the same time for four consecutive years. They jokingly call him Mr. Consistent. When it was time to do some trades in the league, other teams were looking at him and who wanted him. And you know why they wanted him? Because they knew what they were getting. They knew what they were getting. 2015, 16, 17, and 18, he had the same exact batting average. Folks, you'd be amazed at how God could use you if we were just a little more consistent in our walk with him. Now, why aren't we consistent? Well, I pointed that out to you in verse 28. The Bible says he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Here's why oftentimes we're not consistent. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. You say, well, wait a minute. You mean in order to serve God consistently, I've got to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? No, but here's what I want you to see in that. In order for him to go with God, he had to be willing to go without something else, correct? In order to be with God and to go with God, he had to be willing to go without something else. Now, this is why we're not consistent in our walk. Because in order to be consistent with God, it means we're going to have to be inconsistent oftentimes with things that are close to our heart. Folks, this is the battle I face every day. In the morning, my alarm goes off. Went off this morning. And oh, you just want to snuggle down a little bit more. Man, you're wanting to get a little bit, uh, just a few more minutes. Something like that five more minutes are going to make the difference in our day. No, it's not. Let me go ahead and tell you, no, it's not. Like, oh. Moment of sacrifice, five more minutes of sleep or a closeness with God. I'll promise you that five more minutes of sleep is not really going to help you at all. But boy, a closeness with God could change the whole outlook on your day. You know what? I may have inconsistent sleep patterns, but boy, I'd rather have a consistent walk with God, wouldn't you? But you got to be willing to give up. So is that what Luke 9 is talking about? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. What is that? That means if you want to be with me, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That means if you want to be with me, you got to be without some other things. But what you're with is definitely a better trade than what you're living without. Galatians 6, 9, the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. Oftentimes, that's the trouble, isn't it? We get weary. Weariness happens over time. We're not weary in making the decision. We can make that decision like we're going to lose weight. I decide right now I'm going to lose weight. Well, that was easy. That was easy. I decide right now I'm going to have a diet. Yeah, tell me that in two days, three days. Tell me that when everybody else is going out uh, to steak and shake. My soul, have you had that garlic butter burger that they have? Go get one tonight. Go get you one. They have those combos under $4. Man, what a deal. And you're thinking, well, that does sound good. You see, the weariness sets in over time. You decide, I'm going to go up that mountain and spend time with God. And you get up on that mountain with God, and next thing you know, you see what's going on at the bottom of the mountain. Well, it looks like they're having fun down there. Wait a minute, you've got a choice to make. One of those you're going to have to do without. And I assure you, your closeness with God is what's going to help you become that lifeline that you need to be. In the life of a lifeline, there's got to be some consistency. Why? Because the end of verse 9, Galatians chapter 6 says, we will reap. We will reap. That means God gives us a guarantee if we'll have some consistency in our walk with God. Do you know what your reaping may be tonight? It may be your children. 
It's those people that you're trying to reach. God, I'm going to hold on to you. God, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to hold on to you, and I'm going to reach, I'm going to reach, but I'm not going to let go of you. You see, that's the mistake that oftentimes we make. We let go of God in the name of helping other people doesn't work. It's like a doctor getting sick to help people, all right? You've got to stay well, so you've got to stay connected with God, committed to God, consistent with God, and you keep reaching. Say, God, I'm not going to let go of you to go down there. I'm going to stay right here, and you stay consistent with God. The Bible says that you're going to reap. What does that mean? There's a payoff if we're just faithful to remain consistent with God. So number two tonight, the life of a lifeline. If we're going to be what we need to be, we've got to be consistent. But finally, look down at verse number 35. I'll give you this. I'm going to let you go. The Bible says in verse 35, the aftermath. He comes down the mountain. The children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, this is what's amazing. After a closeness with God and a consistency with God, notice the Bible says his face shone. Now, what does that mean? It means there were effects left over. There was no doubt where he had been. No doubt why his face was shining. Either he had been with God or uh, been exposed to nuclear radiation, okay? But notice this. This is important. This third part is very vital. If you're going to be the lifeline, you need to be. What happened with his face shining was the third thing. It was confirmation. Confirmation. Now, we need a closeness with God. We need a consistency with God. But all of a sudden, what happens when you spend time with God in closeness and consistency in your life, there's going to be a confirmation. Now, this is where we're lacking oftentimes. Not only did Moses profess he had spent time with God, he possessed the evidence he had spent time with God. Folks, a lot of us try to win people with our lips. There's nothing wrong with that. Telling them about Christ is obviously important. But oftentimes, what we say with our lips gets undermined by how we live our life. We profess it and we talk about it and we tell them, hey, this is what Jesus will do for you. And they say, well, why hasn't he done that for you? Oh, Jesus can change your life. And they're wondering, well, why hasn't he changed your life? You're the same guy that you've always been. Sooner or later, what you say you believe needs to be confirmed with your life. Now, they saw Moses go up the mountain just like your neighbors see you go to church. And we tell them we spent time with God. Boy, we went to church, had a good time with God today. Oh, what a blessing it was. You know what the truth is? We'll see. We'll see. I, I hear a lot of these uh, non-denominational churches. Like, I'm not picking on them. Man, I talked to some folks. Man, the Spirit of God just fell down. On, and man, it just shook the place for God today. And what I want to say is we'll see. Anytime the Spirit of God fell in the Bible, there was something that took place. A change in people's lives. Listen, we have got, we've gotten used to and we've bought into this ideal of this camouflage Christianity that you can go and meet with God uh, and be consistent in a walk with God, but nothing on the outside ever changes. That's false doctrine if I ever heard it. Moses went up there and met with God, had a closeness and a consistency with God, and he came down the mountain. He didn't have to say a word. They could see it. Why? It was confirmation in his life. If I could encourage you to do one thing today, it would be to make sure that sooner or later your faith shows up in your life. Central Baptist Church is not going to be the lifeline that we need to be if sooner or later what we talk about doesn't show up in our life. Just some confirmation. Let them see what you've been talking about, and I assure you sooner or later you'll have people that you're reaping because they desire to have what you have. 
Simple question you ought to ask is, do people see what I believe? Do people see what I believe? We talk about peace and joy and contentment. Do they see that? Do they see it? Do you know, we talk about faith, and faith is this invisible thing that you can't see. Yes, you can. So how do you know that? It's called faithfulness. Sooner or later, the faith that we say we believe is going to be shown in the faithfulness of our life. We're at church. They see the faithfulness of our testimony and the faithfulness that we are raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Jesus said this very thing, John chapter 10. I'm going to hurry and be done. There's a dispute about whether Jesus was who he says he was. And that dispute still rages today in the church and in the world. Are we who we say we are? You say, well, we shouldn't have to show them anything. They should just believe by faith, right? Well, let me tell you what Jesus said, and we'll go on from there. Jesus says, if you believe not me, believe the works. He told them who he was. He says, if you don't believe me, believe the works. He put his testimony up for collateral of what he was professing. Now, folks, I know this is a, a jagged pill to swallow, but could you put your testimony up tonight as collateral of what you say you believe? Does your life, does what you say, does how you act, does how you treat others, listen, is that enough to prove to people that what you say is actually what you believe? You know, here's the sad thing. We have all this wonderful technology. Look, obviously it can be used for evil, but oh, it can be used for good. So how do you know? Well, we have social media, which can be a blessing and a curse, more of a curse than a blessing, but it can be used as a blessing. We have this wonderful opportunity to tell the world and to publish to the world what we believe more than ever. You know, used to in the olden days, you had to put a stamp on an envelope and put it in the mail uh, to communicate with people. I mean, back in the, like, the 50s and 60s. Now we can communicate instantaneously. But what do we spend most of our time talking about on social media that we believe? Let me tell you what I believe about politics Look, there's nothing wrong with politics. You better get involved in politics. You better. Let me tell you what I believe about the latest fashion trends and styles. Nothing wrong with being fashionable. Wait till Sneaker Sunday. I'm going to do my best to be fashionable. I might fail, but I'm going to do my best. Nothing wrong. Why don't we use the means and opportunity that God gave us to show people what we believe? Oh, what a privilege we have, an opportunity we have. But here's the, here's the sad truth. Oftentimes, we're not effective with what we believe because we're not affected by what we believe. Bless God, I got a copy of the inspired and errant word of God. Okay, I do too. I have several of them stacked on my desk right now. Wonderful, wonderful. And we tell people what we got. Here's the problem. The reason we're not effective with it is because we're not affected by it. This has got to change your life sooner or later. Look, then you start showing up in your life. The demoniac Gadara who was lost. Oh, my soul was that man lost. Jesus pulled him out of the ditch. Thank God for that. He was sitting clothed and in his right mind. Something happened. What happened? He spent time with Christ and it changed his life. I assure you, Christ wants to change your life beyond salvation. But oftentimes, we're not willing to go up and have a closeness, consistent walk with God. And that's why there's no confirmation. Here's the sad truth. Our kids know. Our kids know it. They knew it. They knew it. They knew that Moses had been with God. Why? Because it was just undeniable. It was all over him. And folks, I looked at our kids when they got on the bus today, and I know not everybody here has kids, but you're an influence to somebody. The only way that our kids, listen, are going to be part of that reaping, connecting them to God, is if our kids can see it in our life. 
They got to be able to see it. The Bible says his face shone. The story was told of Mark Twain. He was doing a tour in Europe, a new book that he had written. He took one of his daughters with him. I can't remember her name. He took one of his daughters with him. And as he toured Europe, all of the crown heads stopped to visit with him and spent time with him. And the notable personalities of that age spent time with him. And his daughter is being quoted as saying this, by the end of this trip, you'll know everybody but God. By the end of this trip, you'll know everybody but God. Here was his daughter, and his daughter knew all too well that her dad didn't know God. Her dad didn't know God. You read about him, read about some things he's talked about in his faith. He didn't know God, and his daughter knew it. Now, folks, tonight, if we were to interview our children, I wonder what they would say about our closeness to God. What is our walk like? I, uh, I get up in the morning. And before my daughter and I go in the living room and I pray, there I have an altar. It's called our couch. And I'll sit in there and I'll spend time with God. You know, I want to show you this. Week. You don't have to agree with me on this, but let me just give you some food for thought. A lot of times I won't turn all the lights on because I want to let Leslie and Miley sleep in. And I'll pull out my phone and I'll pull up the Bible that's on my phone and I'll sit there and read that. And Miley would come in the living room and, hey, Dad, how you doing? I always ask her the same question. How'd you sleep? She says, I slept good. It's all right. And we'll get on about our day. Boy, I got convicted about it the other day, or a few weeks ago, actually. My daughter walks in. She sees me holding this. I mean, how often do we see somebody holding this and we think they're spending time with God? And so now I make sure when my daughter comes in, or I have my iPad out. Uh, when my daughter comes in, I want her to see you holding my Bible. And you say, well, that's just, that's just nonsense. No, I want you to think about it. Think about it. She doesn't know that I'm on my Bible. She just thinks Dad's sitting there on his phone. And I think it's important that my daughter see that dad's working on his closeness with God. When, I, when she sees me holding this, she has no doubt what I'm holding. Well, dad's checking ESPN, where dad's checking the weather or the election results. No, she knows dad's spending time with God. Our kids need to see that, okay? Well, look, I, I spend more time on this thing than I, than I need to. I know it's necessary sometimes, but it's important that our kids know that there's a confirmation Man, I saw dad. Dad, look, dad's up in the morning. Dad's on his knees praying. Dad had his Bible open. And look, my hope is that my daughter, she's already professed Christ, but my daughter will grow closer to God because she saw the example of dad working on his closeness with God. Now, folks, whether you realize it or not, I'm done. You're a lifeline for somebody. It may be your coworker. It may be your neighbor. It may be a student in class with you. You're a lifeline for somebody. God has left you here to hold on to him and to reach out for somebody else. But you're not going to be the lifeline you need to be, number one, without a closeness. How's your closeness? Number two, without a consistency. And then tonight, make sure there's a confirmation in your life that your kids can see and your neighbors and your coworkers can see that, hey, they back up what they say by how they live. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be at your house tonight. And thank you, Father, for Moses. Where so often we see him being that lifeline between you and the people. He wasn't perfect. But, Father, he was one who was willing to draw closer to you and have a consistent walk with you. And, Lord, to live that out through the confirmation of his walk with you in his life. Now, Father, I pray you'd help us tonight. I pray for our young people that are away at youth conference right now, that, Lord, even as the preaching goes on, you'll stir their hearts and they'll come back excited. But Father, I pray they'd come back excited, Lord, to join a mom and dad and a church that's excited as well. 
that, Father, we're going to maintain our closeness, have a consistent walk with you, and they'll, they'll see in our life a confirmation, Lord, that you're present in our lives as well. Bless, Lord, I pray. Convict us, Lord, where we need to be convicted. Draw us closer when we need to be closer. And I just pray your will be done in the invitation tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand with our heads.